how's it going? Hi, Teresa. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad you're here to speak with us on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Uh, we've gotten to know each other, I think, over the past well, almost a full year, if not quite a year. And um, I've just been really, really impressed about the work that you're doing at um, Judd Foundation. So can you first tell um, us a little bit about what brought you to working in the mental health space? Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me on. And I kind of entered the mental health nonprofit world trade out of college undergraduate. So I was a uh, psychology uh, major in at Harvard and was always very interested in kind of like adolescent development and how we come to understand our identities and kind of how we navigate different transitions throughout our lives, especially kind of from high school into college and then college into the working space. So for me, I think my interest in mental health kind of first started um, in high school when you know, I think I did pretty well academically, but I always felt like my teachers and the community around me didn't really understand who I was or really tried to kind of foster my growth in kind of areas outside of my academic work. So kind of building emotional kind of intelligence or my social skills, um, kind of life skills, basic how to <laughs> navigate kind of the the outside world, right? And so in high school, I was lucky enough to get to know a few mentors, um, one of them kind of being my Spanish teacher and my uh, soccer coach. And I would um, sit in his classroom every morning and just chat. And kind of that was a really, really awesome experience as to see like someone who got to see me <laughs> as a person. And kind of in college, um, transitioning to that process, I kind of wanted um, to find someone like that, a mentor. So luckily, my freshman year proctor tutor was a very big um, inspiration for me. And so through that process, I really got to think, you know, what can we do as far as within our school systems or even kind of with everything surrounding you to really promote things that are beyond just the grades and, mm -hmm. um, you know, college and, and, and how to you know prepare academically. So that's what really, really drew me to this work. In college, I did various kind of peer support work. Um, I organized our intramural activities. Um, and then I was part of our honor council. So at the honor council, we kind of work with students who are kind of going through some sort of administrative review. And so it's just oftentimes a very challenging process, more kind of on the emotional side as well. And so I was um, kind of one of those supporters and kind of worked with so many different students on how to navigate that process. And so I think through that lens, I, I really you know, recognize that Sometimes students might kind of make a mistake or do something that they don't want to, but that underlying that is so much more, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of times they're maybe having emotional difficulties or struggling um, with the acclimation process to, to college. And so I think through all this work, I realized that we can do so much more to uh, kind of support our uh, you know, students like me who are kind of navigating this process. And ultimately that's what let me to let me to Jed. Uh, first of all, um, I didn't really know all of that about your story, and that's really yeah. so critically important for people to hear because I think you're, you know, as I think about not back in my life as a student that was so gazillion million years ago, but more about uh, when I worked in higher ed myself and working with high school students and college students that there's so much pressure on grades and test scores, just so much pressure that um, you know, it's so critically important to see the student as a whole person and to support that emotional growth and 
learning, not just the academic part, but the human, who are you as a person part, and you're developing into that part as especially a young person in high school and going into college. So, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, you recognize that and you found some mentors, but certainly accidentally finding a mentor is not the best way, but really thinking about it with some um, intention, I think is really fantastic. And how did that get you to, to Jed where it like turns into something that's actualized? Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, like I sort of accidentally found a mentor and, you know, a lot of the things that I I wanted personally, kind of, I needed to proactively reach out to. And um, I think that's what really led me to Jed where, you know, our our mission is to um, kind of protect emotional health and uh, prevent suicide for teens and young adults. And we do this through a lot of kind of individual engagement through our youth facing campaigns and on our social media and partnering with media companies. But a lot of our work is also with kind of advising uh, colleges and high schools on kind of systemically, right? How to create kind of strong communities and, and, and systems and cultures around mental health. And um, so we work, you know, with administration on kind of evaluating their mental health policies, their culture, and really trying to ground the entire school community in, in this kind of culture of care and support and making sure that students are supported. So um, this kind of mission um, and work really, really drew, drew me because um, I think this is <laughs> what I wanted growing up in high school and, and in college where the systems that surround me are, are really trying to reach out and make sure that students are supported, that, that you know, faculty and um, support staff and everyone had the proper resources and kind of this public messaging that uh, mental health is a priority for colleges and for high schools. And if, if students, you know, are in need of help, that that's totally okay. And there are avenues to do that, right? And um, I think it's one thing to say that. And then there's another thing to actually see that in action. And we can continue to make progress in, in this field, but that's kind of what drew me to Jed is kind of that emphasis and um, the focus kind of on working directly with um, teens and young adults. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, since I've had my involvement with uh, uh, Jed through my, my day job, as I call it, it's really helped me to see also re- really better tie together the work that I was doing when I worked in college admissions as a college admissions administrator Um, It just reminds me back in the day of, wow, you know, uh, what if, and maybe Jed was around at that time, but I didn't know it was around. (laughs) I don't think it was, but um, certainly how, you know, you have uh, different types of campaigns where people openly talk about sort of the supports that they need and giving encouragement to other students to seek out help. You do, you know, fantastic reports and things like that. And um, many, much of it is, is youth led and youth driven. So it's not like an imposition on youth, but really the youth saying, no, this is what we need. This is how we need it. And we're going to be a part of it. So when we think about youth mental health, the the other thing that that I like to talk about is sort of those intersections that, you know, young people, high school students, college students, they're not monolithic, of course, that they're intersections related to race, culture, sexual orientation, and gender identity, disability, and, and so forth. So when you're thinking about youth mental health and those intersections, what are some of the things that come to mind for you? I think most importantly, I kind of want to kind of go go down to that individual kind of youth, that high school student, that college student, and having things that really resonate with that individual person. And 
as you alluded to, right, we have so many different identities and intersectionalities and kind of communities. And in those sorts of identities, communities is mental well-being, um, emotional health kind of a priority, meaning like if someone is really, really involved in uh, kind of a sports team or in a cultural group, are those um, organizations or those leaders in those groups um, really attuned to those needs, right? Like, are those people in those groups, is that culture healthy, right? And Mm -hmm. are there steps in place where if there's someone who might be struggling or having challenges, do they have a confidant, someone that they're close to, at least one person that they can, you know, talk to and, and work through some of those challenges. So I think at the core should be (laughs) the ideal. And so how do we kind of really create that system? And I think, um, this is some of the stuff that Jed does is kind of working directly with those leadership, uh, those leaders and through our campaigns, really trying to target youth and, you know, with different identities and saying like, look, like there's people that look like you that are part of this organizations that you're interested in, or, you know, we do some PSAs with, um, actors and celebrities and influencers and uh, of different kinds. Right. So really trying to find that person who, um, that youth can can resonate with. And so I think it takes kind of both that individual outreach and finding that person that one particular youth can um, get that message across. And then like systemically, you know, working with these organizations or with school systems to really um, ensure that there is that, you know, system of support around each individual uh, person. Yeah, I, I, I totally remember when I was um, in, in high school, you know, I was a uh, well, I was a minority, literally a minority in the sense of there were very few African-American students at the school that I was attending. It was predominantly white and nothing else. (laughs) There were like this smattering of of black kids. And so um, sometimes being able to, and, and nothing as far as the teachers were concerned. So just to be, you know, really clear about that. So that, um, you know, if I was struggling emotionally, it was like, well, who am I supposed to talk to? Who can I trust and who can understand maybe what it feels like to be one of a few or, or one of the only ones in my class? Because there are just not enough of us to go around that usually I was the only Black person in my class. Same, same thing when I went to college, I actually selected initially the first college that I went to. I selected a college in which I was again, it would be like me and only me. And so it's like, who do you talk to? And how do they understand what you're going through, especially um, as it relates to your emotional well-being? And you don't want people to think less of you either, even though that shouldn't be the case when you're just talking about needing some support. Yeah. And, you know, going back to uh, my high school experience, um, you know, my soccer coach and my Spanish teacher, he was you know, one of the few kind of BIVOC teachers in my entire school. And you could kind of see that where I'm Asian American and other people like like me would also kind of convene in, in his room um, mm-hmm. before, before school. And um, there was that kind of organic community that just came out of having that trusted adult who shared some of the experiences, who trying to navigate this predominantly right. white community and culture. And so that's what I mean by like starting from kind of the grassroots and really building these people who are champions for mental health and are comfortable having these sorts of conversations. And through that, you know, you can kind of build upwards and create communities and find larger cult groups, but it really starts at the base. 
Right, right. So one of the things that I'm noticing about you, by the way, <laughs> is um, because I wait, are you still chief of staff at JET or do you have a new role? Yep, yep. So uh, I'm still chief of staff. I okay. recently, so JED kind of went through a little bit of a uh, organizational change where we have this new external affairs branch and kind of I'm doing more of that work. So looking at our advocacy work, looking at our strategic partnerships, looking at our kind of enterprise-wide communications. But um, yeah, my, my title is still chief of staff. And b- before you were chief of staff, were you and did you start off as an intern and then you became chief of staff? And then you, is that kind of the trajectory? Yeah, yeah. So I started um, summer of 2019 as an intern under a high school program, came back July of uh, 2020. So I've been here for a little over a year. Wow. Wow. I love talking about this, especially as people think about, hmm, what is my role? How do I get into this? And I see you as um, a leader uh, that is championing youth mental health. So what do we need to do to support youth to become leaders or for those who are already in leadership in the mental health field or advocacy movement? Um, You're kind of an example of that. So what else um, should any of us be doing to support our youth to move into leadership positions? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think obviously there's so many different youth facing mental health organizations that youth can get involved with, whether that is Active Minds on college campuses, or I was part of this organization called Youth Move National and and did this training um, called the Youth Advocate Leadership Academy. So I think there are these like formal ways that you can kind of get involved. And I'm sure lots of high schools and and colleges have other sorts of uh, mental health peer organizations, peer support, um, things like that. But I would also say like, this kind of goes back to my earlier point, like any sort of affiliation or organization you're part of, you can serve as kind of a mental health advocate or wellness kind of champion within those groups and really build, bring in sort of resources or start these conversations. You don't need to be in a specific mental health organization to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're part of a, some sort of club or you're at a company or if you're a gamer or something like that, where you're part of a league or, you know, there's just so many different ways that we can kind of infuse this culture of, of mental well-being and checking in on, on your friends and encouraging, you know, self-care and, and wellness. So I think through that, you'll find these opportunities where you can be an advocate and, and leader for, um, you know, your community. Wow. Yeah. You brought up gaming. You shouldn't have gone there as I <laughs> was just unpacking all of my different um dice from the the PAX convention, (laughs) PAX Unplugged in uh, Philadelphia. (laughs) But one of the interesting things about going to these different conventions, I was at uh, Comic-Con in San Diego this year, very, very scaled down, masked up, vaccinated, double checking and triple checking your vaccination and boosters, et cetera, to participate in person. That the real um, intentional intention, is that a word? I don't know. I just made it up. So it is, but um, around um, people's emotional well-being and um, checking in, like there was a a game that was um, running, it was uh, on Twitch as well as being run live. Um, And it was really interesting as I, as I was watching it also being played on Twitch while I was sitting in the actual auditorium, watching them play it on stage. Uh, It's like a Dungeons and Dragons type game using the same sort of uh, gaming rules, but different land and different world and different time. It was interesting to see messages throughout the Twitch game about 
uh, checking in on people's emotional well-being, you know, encouraging people, you know, take a step away from the screen if you need to. Well, these are hard times. If you need to reach out to someone, you know, feel free to reach out to, you know, this group or this person. And I thought, wow, this, this is yeah. not, this is not your grandma's gaming anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a whole new way of um, not just engaging people in the game, but ensuring that they're um, safe and they know that they have a community that cares. And I thought that was pretty cool. The other thing that was cool is to see more people in the gaming and cosplay and sort of Comic-Con anime, all that kind of stuff, community openly talking about mental health and living with mental health conditions and how that community has um, created a space for them to be fully themselves um, and to find health and healing and to be um, in community with other people where folks aren't um you know, as judgmental, but, um, you know, finding a nice and safe community. So bring up gaming and I will just go down. You did it. Mm-hmm. And I went down that, that lane. So I'm going to come back into our lane. The other thing, you know, that, that, uh, you've really, um, I think advocated for and been talking about is men's mental health. So, yeah. um, and this is such an important topic because, you know, we know our men, but, um, tell me a little bit about, um, sort of your thoughts around, men's mental health and things that we could be doing better there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think we still kind of live in this culture of, I would say like hyper-masculinity or very constrained notions of what it means to be a man. And one of the core tenets of that is emotional (laughs) restraint or not opening up or revealing your feelings, whether good or bad. And I would like to see sort of that narrative and and that framework um, evolve a bit where we can reframe some of those kind of notions and think about maybe um, vulnerability as as a sign of strength, as a sign of courage, um, rather than as a weakness and encouraging um, young boys and men to have different identities and and, and stretch um, what it means to be a man. Um, Because I think a lot of the times, if you're not sort of this macho <laughs> type, you're looked down upon or not respected in, in some ways. And I think that creates a very unhealthy culture, um, especially for, for teens and, and young men trying to find their own identity and who they are. And so I recently worked on this white paper um, called A Call to Strengthen Men's uh, Mental Health for Jed. And we looked at some great kind of campaigns that are out there different programs that are out there that are trying to tell these different narratives and create these communities um, where sort of like these support groups where it is okay to, you know, be vulnerable and share your thoughts. And, and we also kind of through that white paper made some um, recommendations. I think oftentimes because kind of boys and young men are more silent about these topics that there's a notion that, oh, they're doing fine, that they're acclimating okay, but in reality, they aren't. So again, I think systemically and culturally, we need to, if you're in environments where you are um, working with this population, to proactively reach out and have those conversations and check in. And I think naturally over time, if you know this group is surrounded by uh, people that they trust and um, that they're okay opening up to, that you'll kind of see that there are certain things where maybe they, they're, they're having challenges or are struggling and they are really looking for someone that they can confide in, right? And so, especially, um, you know, within kind of the, the Asian community, you have a little bit of stigma 
um, already with uh, mental health and then added on to, to kind of these notions of masculinity that we kind of grew up with in the West. You know, a lot of this is, is my own experiences as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about this and um, yeah. want to continue to do more here. Oh, that's excellent. And I was going to give you like, what do, what do I say? Uh, three snaps up, two thumbs up, lots of claps, because I just want to like hashtag vulnerability as strength, right? Like that's really, really powerful, especially yes, for uh, young boys and, and, and men um, because of, well, I have heard the term hyper-masculinity. I've just never used it, but I, but I think that's very true of many cultures to think about sort of men in this very and again, maybe from Latino, I'll, I'll borrow a little bit that machismo, that very macho, very manly thing where, you know, we kind of stuff our emotions down. And so you don't know how somebody's really doing. And I'm, I'm you know, so glad that this is an area of passion for you and that there's a white paper with some recommendations as well. You've talked a little bit too about sort of um, um, Asian and, uh, you know, folks and how to think about coming from an Asian a culture and background. And, and quite frankly, just, just like me as an African-American, it was very hard for me to find leaders in the behavioral health or mental health movement that looked like me. They were kind of few and far between. Um, and I'm that's why I actually started um, Unapologetically Black Unicorns was to kind of uh, uh, help people see how many people are really out there and hear from them. And you know, what more can we do since representation really matters? And I'm particularly interested in ensuring that we increase BIPOC leaders and advocates, is there anything more we could be doing for Asian and South um, Asian folks to ensure that uh, we're not just inclusive, but also advancing leadership and advocacy? Yeah, yeah. I think we just need to see more people who are out there. And, um, you know, I've worked with many different Asian mental health advocates, and I know they are very passionate, they're very committed to this. It's just there isn't really this overarching structure or community for them to connect with. And so I think that's something that um, I want to contribute in building in the future. But I think for the time being, it's really being proactive and, and reaching out and doing things like what you've done, creating like a podcast to connect people of common interest. Right. And so uh, going back to my earlier point, like you don't have to be 100% invested in kind of this kind of notion of mental health advocate, like whatever sort of affiliation organization and, you know, every college campus, had, uh, I'm sorry, not every, but like many college campuses have kind of an agency and organization, right? And within those, if you have a passion in mental health and well-being, like, can you step up and try to shift the culture or, or bring in some of this um, work or resources? So um, I think that's an important first step. And then I think what I would like to see is in, in mass media, luckily this past year or two, we've seen actors and, and more public figures and nonprofit leaders. And I think Asian representation is improving. There, there, there can be um, room to grow, but can those people who have more platform, uh, like a bigger platform now, um, you know, can they use that to talk about mental health and, and, talk about wellness, I think that would be, you know, pretty transformative um, for our community. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think sometimes it's also about the language and um, how and where to enter in. And I, I know sometimes mental health 
in some people's mind equals mental illness. And that becomes a harder conversation to have. But of course we all have um, mental health and sometimes people like to refer to it as, you know, our emotional well-being and how is our emotional well-being during the a pandemic and how is it during, um, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, the whole, you know, Asian hate quote unquote situation that, you know, this is when our um, emotional well-being is really most fragile. I think because it's kind of, you know, we're under attack. So our emotions and our mental health can also be under attack. So how do we um, build up the uh, protective factors and community to be able to openly talk about uh, what we need to really maintain and sustain and build up our, I'll call it our emotional well-being muscle (laughs) or our mental health muscle, right? So, um, but yeah, I think you know, that's what I found too, is sometimes if I use mental health, it's off-putting to people, though that's what it is. So I will use the language that uh, is comfortable for for folks, even if it's not the the parlance of policy. How can we talk about it in ways that people can enter in? I think there are all sorts of ways to do that. I I really like the term kind of fitness and kind of strength, right? Like I think those are uh, like mental strength or mental fitness. Um, I think just kind of caring more of a a positive uh, connotation, kind of increase in buy-in yeah. um, for people. Yeah. Yeah. And and knowing, well, you know, what to do when things aren't going so well that, you know, there's, it's, it's not a negative thing. It's just a thing like when you get a cold or when you get the flu or, you know, um, you know, when you have any kind of attack on your physical well-being, um, that's not a negative thing. It is just a thing. And, you know, we need to know what to do when that happens as well. So when, um, what kind of um, advocacy things are you interested in as far as uh, pushing for legislation that provides maybe increased um, funding or guidance around mental health? Yeah, yeah. So um, at Jed, um, this past year, I've kind of taken a little bit of leadership role in our organization with our advocacy work in kind of really building out our policy platform, um, the types of legislation that we want to support, and kind of mainly within the school mental health space, how can we increase funding for schools to hire more mental health professionals to fund programs that kind of bring in social emotional learning and and wellness into their schools. For colleges, like we have this bill um, where we're trying to encourage all colleges to create comprehensive systems around mental health to make sure that every college has a plan for how to support student mental health. So I've had that opportunity to see all this in action at JED. And I think that's, again, another lever to create this system, create this, this culture by really infusing mental health into policies and making sure that this is a priority for, for schools and for systems where youth um, interact. So, yeah, it's a lot of meeting with different advocacy organizations and uh, legislative offices. And we also have, have been able to advise kind of a few parts of uh, the executive branch. So mm-hmm. the CDC, um, the uh, U.S. Uh, Department of Education on their guidance around COVID reopening and making sure that mental health is a core area of that. So yeah, a lot of different tentacles. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. I mean, I think this is um, when people want to have a better understanding of kind of what's behind the green curtain, you're helping people see what's behind the green curtain, that yeah. policy just doesn't show up because it shows up. It's because people like you and others are talking to the legislators, talking to the advocacy groups, providing guidance and 
what we call TA or technical assistance. So there are lots of different roles people can play in sort of making a difference for how this is actually actualized on the ground. So some people might be like, yeah, you know, that's not really my thing, but to be able to talk to, you know, a staffer or a legislator is uh, really meaningful to people. And they like doing that kind of stuff. Karis Myrick, I like doing that kind of stuff, (laughs) you know, Um, because sometimes, you know, they're not the experts in some of this stuff, but they are the people who have to move the legislation or the policy related to this stuff. So they need people like, like you and others um, and and Jed kind of doing that, that work. So, I'm going to wrap up by talking about something that, you know, this is, this is going to be on a personal level and we can both share about it if we want, but let, let us talk about our wellness and well-being. So what are some of the wellness strategies that you use now or that you used um, as a student? Talked a little bit about talking to the coach and, you know, the Spanish teacher. Are there, there are other things that you do maybe now to be mindful of your wellness? Yeah. Yeah. So I do, for my work, I do a lot of external facing stuff, but personally, I'm actually, you know, very much an introvert. And so I really, really need kind of my me time. And I think over the years, I've gotten smarter and wiser about like, what are things that actually rejuvenate me and allow me to decompress. And so big kind of outdoors person, kind of both in the physical sense so I do a lot of hiking and um, like to you know just take walks outside but also sort of in the virtual sense I'm a big like nature documentary person Mm. sometimes I'll just kind of google like or find YouTube videos of like cool parts of the world and um, that's a really cool way for me to escape I guess Um, and I like to take road trips when I'm when I'm home too and I have my car and then kind of finding spaces that kind of are healing or protective in a way and so like mm-hmm. coffee shops being one of them I'm a big like Panera Bread person too I think I just <laughs> I mean that's where I get so much of my work done uh-huh. as I said my car is like a, a, a good space to kind of meditate a little bit if you will mm-hmm. I play a lot of sports and so so that's another way I kind of really really like just kind of completely empty <laughs> soccer field and just running and I think that's just very spiritually fulfilling for me. So um, yeah, and then I'm a big like reader. I kind of only read nonfiction at this point, which is a little interesting, but that's been helpful. And then I also kind of watch a lot of just like reality television, like um, Survivor, Big Brother. Oh, wow. All the different shows on Netflix. So yeah, I have a bunch of different things, but um, I think really, again, just thinking about this and making this a deliberate part of my, my day has been, has been helpful. Yeah. Excellent. I, I had no idea about all of those things. <laughs> and um, I love watching nature documentaries too. I love yeah. the one about the uh, octopus. Did you see that one where the, yes, yeah, yeah, that was really good. That was like so good. So good. But yes, you heard, you know, I do the gaming thing. I, I love, uh, I mean, I'm not like, that's the only thing I do because <laughs> that sounds yeah. like, Oh my gosh. Um, I don't do it on Twitch as much um, as I probably would like to, I think I would probably do it a little bit too much, but yeah, yeah I love uh, uh, learning about different um, uh, games and gaming, mainly because I am an introvert as well. And what I like about sort of um, doing tabletop role-playing games is I can be in community with others uh, when and where and how I want to, which is kind of like I can control like how much people time I have and how much people time I don't have. And yeah, um, um, yeah I'm a person who likes being um, a lot of times by myself and 
doing those uh, uh, sort of re-energizing. Like I get all of my, my energy gets used up um, in a positive way when I'm around a lot of people. So then I need to kind of like re-energize myself by not being with people. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. I do a lot of, um, I love documentaries, all types of documentaries and watching documentaries. I love creating um, cosplay characters and developing the um, outfits for a cosplay because then I can show up as somebody else and not really me, (laughs) which is a very protective thing. Um, And then Sadly, I, I really like my, my work is very healing for me. That sounds weird. Like yeah. you need a break from the work, but actually sometimes um, doing this work is um, it keeps me mentally agile, I think is kind of what yeah. happens there. So yeah. And I'm not a sports person. Sorry. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go there. If people know what I look like, it's like, yeah, clearly you are not a sports person. But anyway, um, I really want to thank you, Henry, for joining me and having this great conversation. I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing, especially on behalf of uh, youth and college students, young men in the Asian community. But you know, for high school and college students at, at large, just want to thank you so much for sharing a bit of yourself with us today. Thank you so much. And I think the last thing you said really resonated. Just this work is is incredibly fulfilling for me as well. And meeting so many different champions and people who are so passionate about this work, organizations who are so passionate about this work kind of really gives makes me hopeful uh, for the future. So yeah, um, yeah thank you again. Um, sure thing. For inviting me on. All right. Well, thank you. And I just want to remind um, our guests to our guests. Listen to me. You're the guest. Thank you for being a guest. (laughs) It's a fantastic conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And I just want to remind our listeners to join in to Unapologetically Black Unicorns next week.